Today's podcast is brought to you by the Iowa Tourism Board. Will you be in our lovely state for the caucus? Be sure to check out one of our many fabulous landmarks, including the American Gothic House in Eldon, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Home in Burr Oak, the Mamie Eisenhower Birth Home in Boone, and the Davenport Claim House in Davenport. We have many old, mildly interesting, modest houses, and it's really, really just terrific. Hey, can we find a way to put caffeine in our corn? I'm falling asleep over here. So what do we do now at the strange imposition? How do we define something with no definition? Man, I'll give it a shot. This life, it's a battle, and I'd rather fight for good than be herded like cattle. The odds are against us. Greetings, everybody. My name is Corey Hill, and you're listening to the Justin News Podcast Network. Our guest today is the talented Dan Garza, producer, actor, illustrator, character designer, and master of puppetry. His work can currently be seen on the Showtime hit Kidding, personal favorite of mine. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Nice. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it, man. Excellent. Um, well, as I'm sure you're 100% aware, it's a pretty interesting time to be in, engaged in creative work in the, in the television and film industry. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that on both the, the practical side and, and the philosophical side. Um, on the practical side, how, how has all of this impacted you vis-a-vis uh, not being able to leave the house? You know, all of those those excuses that we put up for for ourselves about yeah, if I if I only had the time, I would do this or I would do that. Uh, now there's the time, and I still find myself like, oh my gosh, what's 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 uh, what's the latest Netflix show? Yep. Um, so <laughs> you know, you, you only you only kid yourself uh, if if you put yourself in in that mindset. But uh, but honestly, I've I've been able to uh, since kidding season two released and i've had twitter for for a number of years uh never really paid it much attention because i was like how much can you actually say in 140 characters mm-hmm. and and i find myself on there for hours at a time answering and connecting with people who i would never have an opportunity to speak to uh and and it's it's pretty fantastic being able to do that uh and and answer questions and uh, see how uh, you know what we what we do on a silent soundstage, how it gets projected out into the world, and and in real time being able to talk to people who who have said you know the 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 show that Dave Holstein made. Who props to him, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it's uh, it's allowed me to heal. It's allowed me to uh, to laugh or to to open up things that. Um, that I had thought were were uh, part of the past are uh, are now you know the the there's a catharsis that happens when you just speak truth about something and and it's really great to see people connecting on that level. Um, so I do I do that I do uh, you know reach out to people I've been shooting a lot of little videos for people hear stories about you know. So and so had to cancel their, you know, their sixth birthday party. So mm-hmm. I'll crack out a puppet and I'll throw it on and I'll sing a quick birthday song with a character. Or, uh, you know, uh, someone the other day said that they were feeling they were feeling depressed, and so I, I sent them a message saying, "How what? How can I help?" And they said, "I, I just want to just want a sliver of hope." 
So, so I, I started just improvising. I was tweeting and tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. And it turned into like the snake oil salesman routine that, uh, uh, the guy was like, I, I you know, I'm, I thank you so much. I'm in, I'm in tears. This is really kind. I said, well, you know, if you want, I can, I can voice record it. So you don't have to read it. You can actually hear it. And then I found out, oh crap, I can't upload it just like audio only to Twitter. So yeah. it started like this, this, uh, you know, a uh, moving type video project that I started like at 1130 and I finished at 2 AM. And, uh, and my wife was like, "It's late. You should." My wife doesn't sound like a like a man who's been smoking, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's late. Come to bed. And and I said, uh, I said, yeah, just just let me let me finish this up. And and I posted it immediately. And and I've gotten a nice response from it. People want to hear a little bit of hope. So yeah, I've been I've been doing a lot of those projects, a lot of painting, a lot of uh, sketching. Um, and I have a I have a small puppet that I have to build for uh, for a friend. But other than that, you know, it's it's just been really great quality time with the family. So on that note, the the puppet material is not the great quality time with the family uh, line of inquiry. Uh, how how many uh, weeks or months worth of supplies do you have in terms of puppet making? How long can you hold out? Uh, you know what? If I get on a if I get on a creative streak, uh, I have. I literally, and my this is, you know, my wife is a, is a saint. Uh, we've been married for twenty five years now, and uh, she she puts up with a lot. I've got I've got enough fabric to take us from here to probably the next um, the next non canceled Olympics. I think. All right, that's that's uh that's good news, and I'm assuming you have like a pretty decent sized work workspace that you can assemble and make it all happen. At. Yeah, I mean it's it's a reasonable size space. Uh, if it comes down to it and I got to Von Trapp our family, uh, then, you know, I'll, I guess I'll start making uh, lederhosen and, uh, and, and dresses out of, out of stuff so we can live in a colorful post-apocalyptic whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, ten it tends to be the case in representations of the post-apocalypse that nobody just kind of wears what they had on before. Like, right. <laughs> for some reason, they feel the need to add spikes. But it's like, <laughs> I just had some jeans laying around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those those extra those extra three inches of uh, of spikes actually uh, determine what your personal space is. Ah, that's how it works. Well, I, yeah. I did actually. I, I had you you did an excellent segue into the question around the the hope video. I watched that. Um, it looks like you put together another one that was either a dinosaur or a lizard in a bow tie. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's a little critter. His name is his name is Genosaurus, and uh -huh. he, he's He's a he's a dinosaur with a with a with an with an overbite, and, and he's got these little bitty hands. I started making him. I designed him really quick, and uh, and initially he was going to be an, a really pissed off dinosaur because he couldn't scratch his nose. Got it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I said, you know what? There's there's already a lot of crap out there about this and that. And this was a few years ago. I made him. Mm -hmm. uh, so I I found these. Um, the, these uh, spheres that I fell in love with and they were too large for his head and it was perfect. So I redesigned him and uh, made him into this, into this fun little uh, sweetheart of a dinosaur. He's, he's, he's a lot of fun to do. To, to so in this case you had a, you had probably had like a totally different uh, voice in mind for the first iteration. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if it were the way that it was going to, uh, he was going to be a lot gruffer. He was going to be, he was going to have an attitude, all that kind of thing. But, uh, 
but since he turned out to be such a sweetheart and he had these giant buck teeth that I made for him, uh, you know, he just kind of fell into something else when I was making him. So, yeah. Yeah. He, sound, he sounds like a like an old guy who eats soup for dinner a lot. This is Absolutely. Yeah. Through a straw, no less, because those those little hands can't reach the mouth. And do you kind of on a on an average basis does the voice usually come to you after the the kind of visual or is it it's sometimes one way sometimes another? Yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's really organic because sometimes like I, I also work with the with the Jim Henson company mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll they'll hand a, a puppet over and they'll say, well, you know, see what you can do with this, and and it just happens. Uh, you'll put the the critter on. And all of a sudden, you know, this character that I had never thought of just pops out of out of, out of the, the facial features and, you know, cranial structure. And, and it changes with each performer, honestly, especially the, the more fabric-y puppets, mm-hmm. because uh, our hands are all kind of built a little differently. And mine tend to be giant, like, it's like sausages in a glove. Huh. And... Uh, and so my the way that my attitude changes in in a critter is different than someone else's, based on the look. Other times I'll have a, a, a character or a voice that uh, will have been working on for years, and then the opportunity will present itself. I did a, a kids show there at, at Henson called uh, Splash and Bubbles. It's a PBS kids show, mm-hmm. and it looks like a cartoon, but it's all digital puppets, uh, huh. which is really really freaky. And uh, it, because you can puppeteer in real time and it looks like it's being animated as you're doing it, which is really, really cool. Um, but there was this little fella that my son and I, uh, uh, my son was probably 10 or 11 at the time. And, uh, and we were visiting people in, in Texas and uh, we were just goofing around and this little voice came out. Oh, just take a quick, quick drink here. Um <laughs> This little voice came out, and I was like, oh, man. And he had a big attitude, and I wanted to use him for something. And then Henson uh, said, oh, Dan, you're going to be this this uh, baby sea urchin, this little figure um, for the show. Uh, you know, whatever you want to you do, you know, just go ahead and do it. So during our table read, all of a sudden, I start talking like this. He's got a little bitty... Yeah, but he hands his feet and stuff like that. And then, and there, every, and it stopped. Like our table read stopped, and everyone looked over at me to see if I was inhaling helium or what the deal was. Um, and uh, and even PBS kind of uh, sent a message back saying, "Is this an effect?" And they said, "No, no, no, it's all Garza." So, uh, so yeah, sometimes you'll have a, a critter that you that you have a voice for, but you don't have it yet, and it took a solid what, like two, two and a half years to find that particular character to go along with. And uh, in terms of using voices at home on the family, uh, do they still find you entertaining? <laughs> For the most part, yeah. It's, uh, it's situational. And <laughs> anyone who knows me for long, longer than five minutes We'll know that um, I, when I'm telling a story or when I'm relating an anecdote, I will go from my normal speaking voice into something else in order. It's just natural storytelling. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, uh, my, my, I have a, a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old. And for as much as you think that like teenage angst or, you know, I'm, I'm too cool, 
uh, the, these are really great kids and they're super encouraging. And, uh, and when they hear a, a character they like, they'll laugh when they, it's something else, then they'll roll their eyes and I know, okay, I need to work on that one. But, uh, but yeah, my, my wife is, is very encouraging too. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, she, she's, she's the kind of person that if you ask for an honest opinion, she'll give it to you. If you don't ask for an honest opinion, she'll give you that same opinion. Excellent. <laughs> it's good to have, uh, you know, real feedback. <laughs> I oh, got, absolutely. I got a dad joke calendar for Christmas and I felt a little bit offended because I don't <laughs> feel like my humor is better than that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but by how much? What, what's your percentage? Uh, I would say at least 40, 40% better than, you know. Wow. Uh, you know, why wouldn't the Sesame Sea leave the casino? Why? Because he was on a roll. That's today. Oh, That's today's example. Okay. So I feel like I'm never down at that level. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> to go to go back to the um, you know the the dinosaur and that and then the other video. Um, what do you kind of feel as somebody who does creative work? Uh, you know, what role you can play? in terms of responding to the COVID-19 outbreak and, and kind of what do you think you might do going forward with that? You know, I'm, I'm my, my heart tells me that there are a lot of, a lot of, uh, what's the best way to put this? My heart tells me that there are a lot of people thirsty for reassurance mm-hmm. um, and for empathy and for, you know, just just re- reassurance that they're not by themselves, they're not alone, and and there is there is solidarity in this solitude, uh, is is the best way that I can put it, hmm. um, because there will come a day when when we're all reunited, uh, uh, you know, with our friends, or family, our workplaces, everything will will kind of roll back into it, and and my my uh, curiosity is how. Will we be different? Um, you know, there there going to be a lot less handshakes, I would think, a lot less hugs mm-hmm. to a certain degree, um, at least at the beginning. Uh, but I want to know long term how is this going to affect people and their willingness to contribute? Um, I hope that it's going to spurn contribution and and those people who were silent for so long by themselves, talking to themselves, uh, hopefully learning new skills and and appreciating the, you know, the, the, uh, the normalcy of, of, of every day, you know, uh, we take a lot of that for granted, um, that they'll have a stronger voice, that they'll have a, a more definite opinion about things because sadly we've, we've gotten to a place of complacency. One of the reasons that I left home when I was, when I was 18 was because, um, I was tired of, of watching people do great things and I wanted to go out and do them myself. Uh, and, and I hope that, that that's what's happening to folks. They're going to get tired of watching like, you know, Tiger King, or they're going to get tired of watching hell, even get tired of watching our show. Dave, I'm so sorry. Showtime. <laughs> um, but, but there's only, there's only so much fuel you can put in that tank without having to go out and full throttle something and make something of your own. Or, or, or find your own voice and, and, uh, and be an encouragement or, or, uh, 
or a little, you know, a little sliver of, of light for someone else. Um, so that's, that's my hope. So uh, during this time, my job, I guess you can say as a creative is to create and to, you know, to, to continue to paint, to continue to not live only in my little bubble, but, you know, send a video message to the, to the shut-in who's, uh, you know, stuck in Ireland somewhere uh, who, who feels that, you know, life is going downhill. Uh, it's, it's important. Uh, so, so yeah, I guess that's where my creative world lies right now. Excellent. I think I could, I could deduce some of your, uh, your ideology, political and otherwise from, from the Twitter feed. But, uh, I, I, I sort of think that this, this is laid bare for a lot of people in a way that most have never had in their lifetime, sort of what's, you know, what these systems are really like and kind of some of these contradictions. So I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you that I feel hopeful that at the, at the end of this, there might be some, you know, reevaluation, uh, you know, however you want to phrase that. So, yeah. Yeah. Strength or, you know, a, a lot of times we take it for granted because, you know, it's just there and, 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 oh, well, you know, my, my vote doesn't count or my, my voice doesn't count or, you know, well, that's not my job. Well, it, uh, it is. You're you're a you're you're a citizen of this planet, man, and and not to sound all you know, hey man, you're a, you're a citizen of this planet. You just gotta do what you're gonna do. Yeah, uh, let's rotate. It's not that you you have to take on the gauntlet of of yeah. I I have an active role to play. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't just can't just be a bystander and and assume that things are gonna work out and I'll deal with. You know, whatever comes my way. No, 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 man. You, you, my, um, okay. So here's, here's some insight into me. Um, when I was a kid, my grandfather would pick me up from school. Um, probably what is it? Third grade or so. I think I must've been about six or seven years old. Is that what mm -hmm. third grade is? Something like that. Yeah. And, um, and so he would, he would pick me up in his, in his car. Uh, a, it was a gold, uh, <laughs> the gold Camaro. Uh, and, uh, he's kind of a hip grandpa. And I grew up in, in Texas and San Antonio. And when he had something important to say, he'd pull the car over and he would give me this, you know, this nugget of, of wisdom. And then he would drive off when it was, when he was done talking. Huh. And so one, one day I, I recall, um, he, uh, he's driving and he pulls the car over and he says, uh, he says, Mijo, there are three kinds of people in this world. They're the kind of people that make great things happen. They're the kind of people that watch great things happen. And then there's the kind of people that don't know what the heck just happened. <laughs> and, and, and I laughed just like that. And he, this man, this, this, this guy that, that, you know, that, that stepped in when I was a kid, uh, my, my mother was a single mother for, for a number of years. Um, but he, he took that, that, uh, paternal role, uh, freely and, and, and honorably. And, uh, he said, uh, he looks down into my, my little eyes and, uh, and down into my heart. And he says, Miko, your job is to pick one. Who are you? And, and, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, 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 let down your idols. And, and I said, I said, well, I, I want to make great things happen. And he said, okay. And he started driving again. 
and 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 in my heart, I've taken that in my life, and I've applied it to everything I've done. There there are times um, that you can accept that uh, I'm just going to sit back and watch what goes on because I you know I don't have anything to contribute right now, or you can be the person that all hell is breaking loose, and you can say. I seriously and honestly don't know what the hell is happening right now. And, and, and I have to be kind of at peace with that right now. And then there are the moments that you step up and you make things happen. Um, and that gives you power in a powerless situation or a seemingly powerless situation um, because you're making the choice whether you're going to step up, watch, or, or sit back for a minute and, and, and compose yourself. And that happens several times a day, every single day. Um, and, and so for me, that, that's, that's kind of the way that my brain works. You know, can I contribute? Can I give anything positive to, to uh, alleviate the situation? What's, what, what, am I, what am I made of? So, yeah, that's something. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I can, that's like a classically written line of dialogue that happened to be uh, someone important to you from from real life. So that was amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, coming from a world of doing some human rights work and all that, I'm always sort of fascinated that so many people feel disconnected from any sort of agency. And I don't know if it's, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist kind of type, but I do think right. that you don't often get taught how these sorts of things actually happen. And not everybody is, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There were other people involved and everybody can play a part. And that's, you know, powerful yeah. kind of message. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things I, I love the aspirational qualities of, of what, of what we're taught in school, you know, this person was a great man. This person mm -hmm. was a great woman. They were a great, whatever. But you know what? I mean, there are a lot of times that it's okay to be the guy who's for you know, four people down from, from MLK in that picture. Yep. Because without, without those people, there is no, the great guy because he's basically, you know, preaching to himself or be preaching out loud. If, yeah. if you don't, if there's no call to action and no one, and if you have a call to action and no one steps up, then, then you're just a crazy guy on the corner yelling out stuff. Uh, so there's, there's a role for everyone to play in everything and that's why i find it so imperative to um to talk to people and, and reassure them that they matter they truly truly matter we're the we're the sum of our scars um and and when we when it comes down to it um i'm not in this uh, contrary to what what you know a, a classic american education will teach you uh, i'm not in this just for myself Mm -hmm. I'm in this for the greater good. Um, I don't have to be, you know, uh, I don't have to be Sally Ride or, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong. I can be the guy who's making sure that they get there safe. Yep. I don't, I don't have to be a headliner, you know? Yeah. I've, I've always sort of taken issue in the more, you know, read or a Howard's in kind of book or something like that with the, the great man theory of history. It never sort of rang true to me. And, you know, especially now, I hope people are reevaluating re that approach of, oh, I can sit this out. And, you know, the people on the other side of any of this thing aren't sitting it out. So, yeah, 
I'm glad to hear that that is sort of integrated in, into your thinking as well. Um, to, to, to circle back a little bit, um, is it my imagination or uh, are there more puppet-based uh, you know, television shows and movies as of late? You know, I, I hope, here, here's, here's my theory on this. Um, so when, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I, I would watch Tom and Jerry in the morning and then uh, Christmas specials, I would see, you know, Rankin and Bass thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a child of the, uh, of the uh, mid and late 70s and then early 80s and, and, and all that. And, and then for a while, those were the staples. And then those went away. And then, you know, CG came up. And, and everyone said, well, that's the end of, that's the end of uh, 2D animation. And, and it was for a little bit. And then there was a resurgence. And then all of a sudden, you have, like, stop motion coming around again. And then you have, uh, you know, more 3D. And then now there's a, a mix of all of these disciplines. And the way that I see it is that the people who are in charge at the studios, at the major production companies, um, their midlife crisis, or they're, uh, they're wanting to share a, a bit of nostalgia from their childhood, or something that reassures them that, that they had a good childhood to a certain degree, uh, something they wanted to share with their kids is... Um, is why we see a resurgence of things like this because those are the people who are in charge now, and they're making their green lighting. Oh, yeah, well, if it was it was good enough for me and it was warm fuzzy feelings, it'd be a shame for this generation to miss out on it. Mm-hmm. And you see, you know, Ardman has gone. Ardman Animation has gone from from doing only you know plasticine or or clay ish uh, stop motion animation into stop motion or into CG that looks like stop motion mm-hmm. because it, it, it wants to maintain that, that, um, that nostalgic thread of how things work to a certain degree. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, if you're seeing a lot of it, it's because a lot of those people see it as, well, this is, you know, this is, I think this is really cool. I think this generation would think it's cool. Um, you know, I was involved with uh, with with a lot of a lot of those those productions, uh, and a lot of the pilots that never ever will be seen by people. Uh, you should see all the stuff that that we that we've shot that no one will ever see. Uh, truly nostalgic shows, uh, you know, throwbacks and things like that. We did a we did a a thing with the uh, I don't know if you you know Christian Jacobs of uh, the Aquabats, uh, okay. but uh, but Christian and and Jason. Uh, were doing a, a pilot for um, what was it? Uh, Banana splits, and so they asked if you know if I'd go in and, and do a couple of things for for them, you know, character voices and such. And we did, and it was super cool and everything. And then um, a few years later, we, you know, the way that things work is you'll do something, and it'll sit in you know an executive's shelf for a while, and then maybe you'll see it, maybe it, maybe it'll get picked up, maybe it won't. And then I saw an ad for Banana Splits movie, and I was like, oh, right on. Well, you know, they didn't go with me. That's cool. I'm glad somebody's getting work. And I saw the trailer, and it was it was a slasher film. What? Um, so, yeah, man. Oh, uh, yeah, I do remember. I remember reading that, and it was like. It was a Blumhouse movie, I think it was. 
and uh, love those guys. I, I, I'd love if you guys are listening. I'd love to work with you. Um, but uh, but all of a sudden, it's like you know, a Drooper and and uh, you know Bingo and all these these characters that we love um, meshed with like a Five Nights at Freddy's kind of a kind of a an idea, yeah. and it turned into a slasher film. Yeah. So so yeah, sometimes our pilots work out sometimes they don't uh yeah, go figure everything everything comes and goes i suppose yeah my my son's knowledge of five nights at freddy to take a little detour five nights yeah. at freddy lore is like equal to that of you know a phd scholar <laughs> <laughs> it's always fascinating how deep kids go into this sort of stuff yeah and that's the thing i mean how are we how are we empowering are we, uh, you know, charging or channeling that? Um, you know, are are we dismissing it and saying like, oh, okay, well, well, that's that's good for you, kid, and, and just going there, or are we encouraging it and saying, well, why don't you write a short story about this, or why don't you, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, walk me through it, or spend some quality time and listen to to a to a tale they've they've made up uh, using you know someone else's IP. Fan fiction is, is a great uh, outlet for creativity. So, yeah, um, so yeah I mean, being able to channel those things is, uh, is, is pretty important. Yeah, we had we had a bit of a mini crisis yesterday because we thought perhaps in some of our recent spring cleaning, my son's stack of roughly 70 homemade comic books had been destroyed. But Oh, no. <laughs> it was in a drawer in his okay. office, which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that was in the first place. How old, is, how old is your kid? My son's nine, and then I have nine. A, yeah. Oh man, comic yeah. books at nine. Yeah, I was drawing them too, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, he has a his own little series that I think he he literally has like four forty of them in this series. So yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah, kids' creativity is is always you know something I'm gonna be a fan of. That's most of my art in my office is from the kids. You know, like I don't need to need to build a shrine myself <laughs> and you know what's funny man is that that's that's what our that's that's what the entertainment industry is the entertainment industry is tapping into the the you know the play acting or the what if you know the world of what if uh, that that we used to play with outside um as as kids and that's these are you know, these are professionals for the lack the, the lack of a better term who uh who uh, who enjoyed that so much that they wanted to dedicate their lives? We that's what we do. We dedicate our lives to the. Um, I was talking to Catherine Keener about this the other day. Uh, mm-hmm. We we uh, we dedicate our lives to the preservation and and uh, and archiving of the human experience hmm. through what we do, um, because it's it's relatable and it allows people to to say, "Holy crap." my life isn't so bad. And you know, it's, it's vicarious activity and a vicarious action that perhaps is keeping people away from their true destiny in the world. But I think to a certain degree, it's a, it's a little voice in the back of their head saying, you know, Hey, if Jeff Pickles can get through the tragedy and loss of a child, it, it it's possible for you too. It's, you know, uh, I love Dave so much. Because instead of, and, and I've seen this online, that a lot of people are saying, well, not a lot, but there's a handful of people who are saying, oh, I loved season one better than I like season two. Really? 
Yeah. So season one deals with grief and loss and separation and anger, uh, rage, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so people wanted to see a a good character, um, you know, spiral into a Walter White. And there's nothing wrong with that type of storytelling. But what fascinates me, and and I I, I will always love about Holstein, is his entire purpose was to put a good man in a bad situation and tooth and nail try to keep him good. Yep. And isn't that what we want for not not just for us but for our kids? We we'd love to see our 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 young people who are going to be making choices for us when we're old and gray um, rise to the occasion and maintain some character. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with being empathetic or or sitting down and and crying with someone who needs a good cry or, or, you know, saying, you know, leave opening up your heart to things that you thought were closed. You know, we've touched on this earlier. I was a, I was a child of, of divorce uh, at, a, at a young age. And I thought that was all behind me. Right. Mm-hmm. But as an actor, I have to dig into those things in order to be honest. And if I'm not honest with what I'm doing, then the other person on the other end of the thing, isn't going to connect. They're going to say, "Oh, there's something going on. I, I don't, I don't know why. You know, it, it's it's good and it looks great, but why am I not connecting? Well, you're not connecting because the performer hasn't opened up their their soul to you, and and there's a relatability and a quality that comes through your voice and through your performance when something is sincere and vulnerable and uh, and real more than anything else. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating bit of you know uh, feedback that you're that you're getting. I mean, I I I like season one, but I definitely think season two had some episodes of television that I would rank you know uh, in terms of some of the most you know powerful storytelling I've ever seen. You know, yeah. the, the episode where they're trying to put the uh, you know Pickleball Falls back together. <laughs> and there's there's not this neat resolution of like oh you can always just do that right yeah and to be yeah. able to be able to like hit on that theme again I think I told you this over Twitter like to to have told me that like I would be broken up uh, <laughs> you know by by delivering this message in this format uh, you know it was extremely well done and you know the the thing that's really powerful is that. That's the, uh, and the, the rest of the series is, is absolutely astonishing. But this is an episode where you can sit, and Dave has sat, and he, he, his son, his, his, uh, his young son, I want to say he's two, he's two, um, actually sat down and watched episode five, season two, uh, repeatedly. As Dave mm-hmm. is doing fine tuning and editing and all of those things, he's watching and is completely engaged. It's the one episode that you can watch with your family um, because, because the reality of, of kids being uh, involved in that divorce is, is a real thing. It's, um, it's the shrapnel. It's the uh, self-blaming, you know, uh, you, you see it in some of the characters that say it. And, and uh, you know, on we as he's running away saying, what did I do? What did I do? 
Mm-hmm. Why do I have? Why do I have to leave? It's not my fault. Um, it, it it really it really really strikes a nerve, and I believe it's encouraging to the child and and to the to the parent who's watching it with the kids, saying, you know, it it's not going to be business as usual, but it, you're going to be okay. Yeah. So, so that, that's a that's a great thing. Yeah, and it's interesting is that even for me, uh, you know, not having experienced uh, divorce as a child or as an adult, been married to the same person for quite some time now. Um, right. It's I think it's the message of you know here's how you know life happens and here's how you know it, it can be fairly broad too. I mean, yeah. I think it was obviously narrow narrower in terms of the initial thought process behind what, you know, what drove all that. But to me, I was able to take something meaningful out of it, even beyond um, that sort of, you know, narrow application. I'd, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, 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 uh, you can apply it to, to loss of any kind, whether it's, and it's cathartic. Uh, you can apply it to things are, things are a complete mess right now. And how am I going to get through it? Well, you know, the, the songs stick together that, yeah. uh, that Alan Schmuckler wrote is, is fantastic. It's all about community and, you know, we do what we do. And, and then, you know, the glue that you started with, uh, yeah. there's only the glue that you started with that Catherine Keener sings, which is also, uh, you know, written by Alan. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. You know, the, uh, the song about hope that we sing is, is fantastic. Um, and it fires on all cylinders, man. And, and, you know, hopefully that's something that someone who is going through it can, can sit down with their kid and say, you know, I want to share this with you. And, and, uh, and it resonates. Yeah. I mean, I say that I probably am like the top 1% of, you know, sort of cynicism in, in certain instances. So if something's like beating you over the head, I usually, uh, you know, re- rebel with every fiber of my being. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, masterful, stroke to be able to be somewhat didactic and still have it land uh you know that's a very a narrow path to walk so you know where some of that lies is not only the fact that that dave has has set up these this world and these characters but he has amazing writers for example the writer of of that episode uh, um, i guess if you're looking at it by title it's episode 3101 Mm-hmm. Is um, is written by by Joey Mazzarino, who spent 25 years at Sesame Street. I mean, okay. he's he was a head writer over at over at Sesame Forever. He's a puppeteer. He knows our language, and uh, he knows how to set things up and 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 be honest. Because Dave, one of the things that he said initially was he wanted the children's show to feel authentic, like it mm-hmm. was and is a real kids show. Because without that, if there's no if if there's no reality to that, then where's the reality in in Jeff Piccarello being uh, you know Mr. Pickles for all of these kids, and and so if that if that doesn't feel real, then he doesn't feel real. Uh, hmm. So that was that was a stroke of genius. Love that. Yeah, and I see that you you had some formal uh, kind of education from the the Jim Henson Company. What? What did that entail? What was that like? Oh man, um, it's 
I actually went and I talked to Brian the other day, Brian Henson, mm-hmm. uh, and and I thanked him. I said, "Man, thank you so much for opening up the gates to the chocolate factory." Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> because you know, I just spent, I just spent, you know, the, the better part of eight hours uh, with uh, you know Jim and Michelle Gondry and and uh, you know uh, Justin and all these guys who are just like, "This is this is crazy." I just what am I doing here? Um, and it's because, uh, you know, Brian opened up this, this, uh, diversity training that happened. And, uh, and so they, they there was a, a Facebook post. I used to work for the Walt Disney company and okay. was very, was very, uh, satisfied in my, uh, in my cubicle of doing what I was doing. I was doing a digital distribution and content packaging and things like that. It was semi-creative, not, not super creative. And every once in a while, I would do like scratch track for this, or I would do storyboards for that, and it was it was it was fun. Yeah. Um, but not exactly what I think I was built for, you know. Yeah. Um, so a coworker of mine forwarded a uh, Facebook page, uh, page, and she said, "Hey, um, the Jim Henson Company is is uh, is uh, training puppeteers, and you do all those stupid voices. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you?" Look- <laughs> And uh, so I borrowed a camera and a puppet and uh, myself together with uh, almost five, 600 people uh, sent in audition tapes. And then they, they chose 105 of us uh, to go in and audition. So even that would have been a great ending to the story. I walk in, you know, this is the old Charlie Chaplin studios. It's uh, you know, it was uh, a red Skelton's old place. It was uh, AM records for a long time. Oh, cool. And uh, so legendary people working and living and, and just being there, right? Uh, I go in and on this two-hour audition, two-hour audition, the first hour was, this is a puppet. This is how you put on a puppet. This is how you talk with them. So it was like an hour's worth of training just to get everyone, you know, on the same page, and on, in, you know, in, in a level playing field. And then it was the audition. and. Uh, my audition was Brian Henson was my scene partner and uh, <laughs> sitting in the front row of, you know, Charlie Chaplin's screening room uh, are all of these puppeteers that I have loved for years and idolized for years. And, um, and my audition lasted half the time that everyone else did. So mm. I thought, okay, this is, this is garbage. Uh, I guess uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I still have my gig. Right. Yeah. Um, but they called about two weeks later and said, we'd love for you to come in after work. And uh, we've chosen 30 people to train um, how to puppeteer the Henson way. And so I would go in after work, they'd feed us and we would, uh, there'd be like moments of, of like really profound and fun fellowship, you know, just kind of living in the moment with each other. And then, uh, and then we'd go in and, People like uh, you know, people like Kevin Clash would would teach us how to how to puppeteer. Uh, Kevin Clash is the guy who who created Elmo. Um, so you know, world class puppeteers going in there. Alan Troutman, uh, Donna Kimball, all these people. Uh, Drew Massey, who are just top of their game, world greatest puppeteers. I mean, uh, Donna just finished up a gig on Netflix. She was the voice of Agra. Uh, in in the new in the new series and she's yep. she's absolutely astonishing. Um, 
puppetry. Uh, I just can't say enough good things about these people who have become my friends, uh, ironically enough. And, um, and so they, they, uh, they trained us and, and they let us do that, our thing. And they recorded some auditions for us and put them on file. And then they contacted me later on, uh, I guess about six weeks afterwards saying, Hey, mm -hmm. we saw your stuff. We think you're funny. We'd love for you to come in and, uh, an audition for this show. Um, then I ended up getting the part. Uh, it's a six month shoot. So I ended up leaving the mouse and that was about four years ago. Uh, the stuff that I've been working on has only been for four years. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a, a roller coaster of, wow. Okay. Uh, this, this PBS kids show, they, they, uh, they gave me, I, I perform 11 characters on the show, man. Oh, wow. Uh, and, um, you know, we got to do uh, movies and TV and pilots and all kinds of fun stuff that you just, you're, you're lying there, you know, on the ground or on a furniture pad or in a hole somewhere, like a, a glorified coffin someplace. <laughs> and, and uh, thinking, you know, looking into the monitor, seeing your hand move this character and saying, ah, you know, don't tell anyone, but I would do this. I would do this for free. Um, and, and they're, they're paying me showtime. I would not do this for free. Just so you know, um, <laughs> but, but I kind of would, but you know, it, just, just aim high and, and, you know, stay true to what you're doing and everything else tends to fall into place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, as good as any, a note to end on, given the the time here. Um, so, thank you. We've been recording for six hours. How is yeah. this? <laughs> it's dark now. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank thank you for uh, taking some time to to chat with me today. Uh, and if you are listening and have not watched, kidding. Um, shake of the fist and i encourage you to do so immediately and once again thanks for coming on and chatting with me please open your heart look inside of yourself and find the kidding dot huh? <laughs> <laughs> com that's uh yeah but uh, yeah so cool excellent thank you so much absolutely <laughs>